And where you guys can have a seat. Uh, today we get the privilege from hearing from Stephen Matson again. He is planting a tri- Triangle Fellowship Church right in our back or side yard. I don't know where we're in Morrisville, whatever direction that makes them. Uh, he was here a few months ago, and uh, he'll be sharing more probably a little bit as he preaches, but also at the end of the service as well as we get to partner and share with them. And so, would you give Stephen a hand as he comes up and he shares with us this morning? Amen. Thank you, Dylan. I appreciate it. Man, it's good to be back. It is. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. I was thankful when Din- Dylan extended the invitation. Um, I remember last time I was here, I, I said something in favor of, of UNC, and I got audible boos. <laughs> but I'm glad we've, got over, we've gotten over that. All right, we're, we're, I'm here again. Uh, man, it's, it's crazy, Dylan. I'm sitting there praising God, and, and this happened last time, but God's just saying, Stephen, this whole band is called to go and plant this church with you, so I, uh, you're going to have to talk to them after this service about that, but, but for, for real, thank y'all for leading us in worship. That was amazing. Praise the, the Lord. Um, I want you to know, you are whether you've been here a long time or this is your first Sunday, you're at a church that believes in kingdom work. You, uh, you're at a church that believes in, in uh, advancing the kingdom of God, not just the name on this particular building. And, and that's why I have the opportunity to be here, because you have pastors who care about uh, spreading uh, the gospel. You have pastors who care about planting churches in areas that need churches. And that's special. That's healthy. That's biblical. And I want you to be excited about that. Uh, when, when we grow up, I want to be like New City Church, all right? We want to be a church that is intentional about planting. And I want Dylan coming to our church and, and uh, speaking at it and to our people as well. So I'm glad to be here, and I, I want you to be excited about being a part of a church that cares about planting other churches. So thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Um, my family wishes they could be here. They're at uh, our, our church right now this morning. Um, just to give you an idea of timeline, we're in what we call a soft launch phase. So my family's gathering uh, over in Morrisville this morning. We're gearing up for a public launch in January. So pray for us, and we can share more details about that later. But again... What a blessing it is to be here. What a blessing New City is to us and, and Pastor Dylan and Pastor Brian. Um, this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about being a people uh, with a message and why we are a people who have a message and why that message is worth telling. In the church world, we call it evangelism. All right? You know that word? Evangelism. Now, when I say that word, there are probably thoughts that come into your mind, right? Uh, my, my introverted friends out there are cringing already because that probably means you have to talk to somebody, right? But, but maybe, maybe when you hear evangelism, you picture Billy Graham crusades, right? Or, or maybe you picture uh, door-to-door, you know, awkward conversations with people. Or, or maybe it's a street preacher that, that comes to mind when you hear the word evangelism. Honestly, a lot of us think more about the method than we do the message, which is a problem in and of itself because we start with strategy before we understand the why. What about this word? What about when I say the word evangelical? What comes to mind? Probably, for a lot of us in here, when I say the word evangelical, politics kind of come to mind, don't they, right? Specifically right-wing conservatism, you know, over the past several decades, that word has really become synonymous in the, you know, with right-wing politics. I'll never forget when I was in Toronto, Canada, visiting a church plant. This was years ago. Um, my wife and I were in a coffee shop, and this woman struck up a conversation with us, and, and she came over, and she told my wife and I that, that we had good energy. I said, that's, that's what's up. That's cool. 
Uh, and we, we, we were talking, and she found out we weren't there, or we weren't from there, and she asked why we were there, and we said we were visiting a, a church plant, thinking about church planting. She said, okay, like, what kind of church, what kind of denomination? And I said, well, I come from a Baptist denomination, and, and I could tell that didn't sit well with her, with, with her facial expression. And, and so she paused, and, and she said, you're not an evangelical, are you? And I knew that no matter what I said, um, however I qualified that or clarified that, she wasn't going to be happy. She looked at me like, because I said, well, yes, I am. And she said, she, I don't even remember what she said. I just remember the terror that came over her face. She looked at me like I was the devil himself, right? And my point in sharing that is that for different people, that word means different things, positive or negative, right? But I want to propose to you this morning that all of us as believers are called to be evangelicals, not in a political sense, hear me, right? Not in a personality-driven sense, all right? But in a, in a biblical sense, you and I are a people with a message who are called to proclaim that message. And that's what we want to focus in on today. In the New Testament, the word is euangelion, and it means gospel, which means good news, we are people who have a message to share. So this morning, I'm not here to talk about the strategies and the, the methods and the way we execute, although that's important. We don't want to start there, church. We want to start with the why. We want to start with the fact that we have a message, and we want to be a people who are captured by that message. So we're going to look in Matthew chapter 4. You can turn there. Matthew chapter 4 will be toward the, uh, the end of the chapter. And we're going to pick up in verse 17. This is right after Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert. This is right after his friend, John the Baptist, uh, was arrested. And now we, we pick up where Jesus begins his public ministry. All right, so I'm going to read this first sentence. Look at this first sentence in verse 17, chapter 4, as we begin to think about being a people who are evangelistic in nature and in our identity. All right, he says, excuse me, yeah, Matthew writes in verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to what? What's your version say? To preach. All right. He began to caruso in Greek, to proclaim, to herald. The beginning of Jesus' ministry is marked by this proclamation. The Christian movement began with this announcement about a coming kingdom. All right. The way in which Jesus broke through the, the noise of the culture was with a proclamation. In order for us to be evangelistic in our identity and as a, as a people, we have to be people who are, are captured and convicted about this message, the gospel message, so that we will be a people who proclaim it. Evangelism starts with this proclamation. It starts with our hearts overflowing with this message. We don't want to, to win people to Jesus through just methods and gimmicks. Because ultimately, what you win people with, you have to keep people with, right? And if it's just through some method or gimmick, we'll just have to keep reinventing the wheel. But if we can win people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he will keep them. Now, I think about what we're doing right now, uh, planting this church in Morrisville. Dylan, I don't know if you've ever planted a church, but it's really hard. It's, really, it's very hard. And, and, and there are times where you just come back and you ask yourself, man, is, is it worth it? Gosh, there's so much work that goes into it and energy and time and money and resources. And, and you just think, 
is it all worth it? But then you come back to the reality of the, of the fact that, man, we are a people who have a message to proclaim, and we believe it so much that we believe the whole world should know it. That's why we're doing what we're doing, right? That's why you as a church support other churches in planting, because there's a the message that needs to be proclaimed within a culture that has other messages that it's trying to elevate. And so we want to be a city on a hill, right? A light in darkness who is who are proclaiming this particular message. Now, I remind our people all the time, look, we're not planting a church because we wanna be like Burger King and have it our way, right? Like we're not, we're not planting because we can do it better than the next guy or we're mad at this church so we're gonna do it our way. That's not why we plant churches. We're planting because we have a message that needs to reach the world. And the best way to do that is to multiply outside of a particular building. Now, pause with me before we continue in verse 17 and look at, what Jesus is preaching here, I want, I want to ask you to reflect for a, minute, for a minute, examine your heart for a minute, because you and I are, are preaching messages with our lives. You know what I mean? Like, as human beings, there's this unique part of us just in our own existence that we're testifying to something. Like, our, our lives are speaking a message. This is not true of, of any other living thing, right? Like, you, Dylan, your pet cat at home is not, like, known for its stance on sexuality in the 21st century. You know, maybe your cat is, I don't know. But, but humans are, are, we have values, we have interests, we have hobbies, we, we're affected by trauma, right? We have uh, emotions, we're complex, and, and all of those things kind of come together and form this, what we call, reputation. And, and that's that message that your life's proclaiming, right? What is your life proclaiming? Like, what are you known for? What is, what is at the top of the list for who you are and when people think about you? Um, I'll, I'll never forget when I was, this was a while ago, but my buddy went to a funeral and, and afterwards he was telling me about it. And um, he told me that the man who had passed away was, was a UNC fan. Don't say anything, all right? Um, <laughs> there we go. And at one point during the ceremony, um, half of the, the sanctuary began to chant tar, and the other chanted heels. And there's, there's an awkward, weird humor about that. But, but, but afterwards, he told me about this, and, and I, was, I was struck with terror. And it just hit me, and I thought, oh my goodness, what, what if I get to the end of my life, and, and what I am ultimately known for is my allegiance to some sports team. Guys, I don't know about you, but I want my life to proclaim something much, much greater, greater than who I am, specifically King Jesus. That's, who, what, that's what we want our lives to proclaim, right? So what is, what is it that our lives are proclaiming? Maybe, maybe it is sports for you. Maybe, it is, maybe it's academics or, or hunting, right? I don't understand sitting in the forest with a gun when it's cold, but some of you are hunters, right? Maybe it's, it's music or politics or exercise or fashion, right? All of these things can, can be okay things, but when they are elevated to the point where that is the message your life is proclaiming, then it's clear that the gospel is not the thing that has uh, superiority in your heart and in your life. So let's look then, as we think about our own hearts, let's look at Jesus' message to us. He says, repent, right? The first sermon preached, Jesus' public ministry, the way he began his ministry was this call to repentance. The kingdom of heaven, he says, has come near. Now, I can, you know, as we seek to begin ministry in Morrisville, and we're on the ground doing outreach events, we're, we're not standing on the corner shouting, repent, right? 
because we know that's really not how you gain a lot of traction. But, but Jesus it doesn't seem like he's too concerned about developing a following, is he? This is what's convicting in ministry, right? Jesus wasn't out to just gain the masses. He was out to, to see people come and follow him. And so he, he said, hey, repentance is the way. Repenting in church culture is really not even a popular thing to talk about. Outside of church, it's certainly not a popular thing to talk about, right? Because our, think about our culture, the, the culture we live in. It's, it's trying to relativize everything, right? Truth is true for you, and, and that's, that's yours. My truth is my truth, right? Which means you can't tell me to repent. Repent from what? I'm, I'm doing what's true for me, right? Like, now, I'm not talking about secondary issues. I'm not talking about opinions, right? You can, you can think that, you know, Moses is better than Chipotle. It's not, but you can have that opinion, right? I'm talking about, like, truth, you know? Our culture wants to say what's true for me is truth. And, and the church has to be able to stand there and in a loving way say, no, 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 repent. Here's the thing. You and I were all at one point running as fast as we could to the edge of a cliff, to a pit of destruction. And Jesus stood in your way, right? He confronted you. He didn't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, the, that, that message that you're pursuing, that's okay. No, he stopped you in your tracks, and he, he said, no. The, the message that you're believing, the lie that you're pursuing, it leads to destruction. Repent. Repenting is turning away from those lies and those sins and turning toward Jesus. And that's the message that he came from. Sometimes we interpret it as as Jesus not being fun or accepting or loving, but it's the opposite. He loves you so much that he stood in front of you and said, no, 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 that message that you're pursuing is false. We want to be a people who can call others to repentance because we know that the message that they're pursuing is a lie. So that's how Jesus begins his ministry. That's the proclamation that we have. He, he uses this kingdom language, right? Repentance is necessary because the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is real. There is a, another king. There is a whole other kingdom. And when we become a people who are a people of repentance, meaning we're turning away from the kingdom of this world, turning toward his kingdom, this becomes a picture of heaven. You know what I mean? Like if a, a new person walked in here who never has read the Bible or have been to this church, they should get a glimpse of what heaven is like. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere and... and you know, use that expression like, man, this must be what heaven's like, right? Maybe, maybe it's a sunset or the beach or the mountains. I'm a mountains guy, right? Like, that's where I find peace and happiness. The beach is where I find, you know, sand and sunburn, and it's not that fun. Um, and so, but I'm, honestly, I've eaten a cheeseburger and said, this is heaven. So I, maybe I throw that around too much, but, but maybe you've used that expression. Here's, here's the reality, though, and this is not an overstatement. If anything on this earth is to reflect heaven the most, it is the local church. It is you. It's not the building. It is you. When somebody walks in, they should understand what the culture and the dynamics of the kingdom of heaven is like because you're a people who have responded in repentance. So you're a people with a message. It starts with proclamation. Jesus, is, Jesus came proclaiming. He came caruso, right? Announcing this message. That's a part of who we are. As we minister in our communities, it begins with this announcement, lovingly calling people into the kingdom of God. Moving forward, right? Jesus, uh, Matthew continues, and then what, what do we see next? 
as we seek to be a people who are on mission, a people with a message. Well, according to Robert Coleman, he says that Jesus then begins to select. All right, Robert Coleman wrote a book called Master Plan of Evangelism, which is basically he just looked at everything Jesus did and wrote it down in categories for us and then just sold a billion copies of this book, right? Pretty, pretty easy. And he says, he says this in his book. He said, it all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This, this revealed immediately the direction his evangelistic strategy would take. His concern was not programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. People were to be his method of winning the world to God. All right, so basically Jesus looked in front of him, intentionally poured into a few, and said, follow me. Read in verse 18 with me. It says, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them. And I will make you fish for people, the CSB says. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Think about how insane this is. The... the way in which Christianity would mobilize itself around the world was by Jesus walking up to some fishermen and saying, hey, follow me. And they did, right? That's how you and I know the name of Jesus is because Jesus looked at the common man and said, hey, follow me. And they did. Throw up a slide for me, if you would. I want you to take a look at this picture as we consider being a people who are reaching others with the message of Jesus Christ, all right? On, on the left, on your left, you have this picture of what the church tends to do because it's tempting to do so, right? We, we aim for the masses so that we can build our numbers, all right? Jesus's ministry strategy never worked like this. This is what we do though, right? Like aim for the masses, but, but what have we realized? That that only leads to few disciples, I don't know if you've noticed the trends in our country over the past 50 years, but I'm a product of a generation who has largely walked away from the church, right? I'm, a, I'm as millennial as you get. I'm right in the middle, all right? Don't hate me. Gen Z's way worse than the millennials, all right? <laughs> but there are a lot of people in my generation who look at the church and say, man, that was, that was a game. That was a gimmick. You didn't care about me. You cared about such and such. And a lot of times, all I can say is, you're kind of right, man. We didn't do a good job making disciples and being intentional with you as a human being with a soul. Look at the right. This is Jesus' strategy. This is how he reached the world, right? He found a few, and he poured into them. And those few found a few and poured into them. And that led to multiplication. You're a, you're a part of a church that believes in multiplication, outside of the walls of this facility, right? That's how you reach the world with the message of the gospel. You can take it down if you'd like, but that's the picture I want us to remember, right? You are not called to, to reach every human being all at once, but you are called to be intentional with who's in front of you. Look at how Jesus selects these men. He didn't put out an ad calling for the most qualified 
person, right? He didn't hold a, a tryout session. He didn't ask anybody to pass a, a written exam or have any level of theological training. He just selected those who were in front of him, the common man. I mean, if you think about it, like if I, if I were Jesus and my goal was to spread this message, I would have been a little bit more strategic in the way that I assembled this team. You know what I mean? Like I think about the movie um, Ocean's Eleven, which is one of my favorite movies. I don't know what that says about me. It's about robbing a casino. But, but you remember, if you've seen the movie, remember that team that they assembled? It's, it's kind of fascinating. You've got your, you know, your grunt worker and your, your acrobat and your IT guy and your master of deception and you know, the, the networker and the, the wealthy guy. And you've got all these pieces that kind of come together to make this all-star team of, of thieves, right? Why, why am I using this illustration? But, but the point... But that's kind of how we operate, isn't it? Like if you were making a basketball team, you would look for people who could fill the roles necessary on a basketball court. But Jesus doesn't assemble teams that way. He doesn't assemble people that way. He's not asking them to be something. He's asking them to follow and to be teachable, right? Those are the two qualifications there. And that's what we can examine our hearts in. Like, are we, are we willing to follow and are we willing to be taught? A lot of times we can get out in front of Jesus, right? And we want him to look more like us. But, but Jesus starts by saying, no, 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 follow me. This is the core of evangelism right here. We are called to Jesus, conformed to Jesus, and then we are unleashed into the world, right? Like, that's why we gather. We are called into the presence of God so that we look more like Jesus and are made more like Jesus, and then you're unleashed. Your door says you are sent, right? You are unleashed into this community in a way that the enemy is now trembling because they know, the enemy knows that, gosh, there's a bunch of people on mission with this message that changes lives. So think about how can you pour into those who are right in front of you? What are the names that come to mind? Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're in your neighborhood. Maybe they're at work. Who can you be intentional with? Stop getting overwhelmed that you have to save every person in your neighborhood. Look to your neighbor. Can you pour into that person? Maybe the, the neighbor at your cubicle at work. Can you pour into that person? That was the strategy Jesus took. It's okay to take that strategy. Pour into those who are right in front of you. So evangelism, being a people who are on message, begins with this proclamation. We have a message to share. Next, the thing, the thing we see next is Jesus made a small group. He made a small group. And those people made a small group and began to reach the world. Then last thing as we continue down in this passage Jesus then began to involve himself in kingdom work. And I'll explain what that means, but kingdom work is, is work that points to eternity, right? Work that is of eternal value. Read with me, starting in verse 23. It says, now Jesus began to, to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So just Right there, pause in that verse alone. What, what do we see Jesus doing? Well, he's, he's mobilizing, right? He's teaching, which is didasko in the Greek, which is uh, to, to enter into discourse for the sake of conversation and instruction. He's uh, caruso again, so he's proclaiming. And then lastly, he's healing, right? Like he's literally physically undoing the effects that sin has on the world. This is a very, what we call hands-on approach, to evangelism. He's going where he needs to go, right? He's entering into the conversations he needs to enter into. He's proclaiming the message of the gospel, and he's, on top of that, 
healing physical diseases. He is on a mission to reverse the curse of sin, right? Like every single thing he does, everything he says, everything he touches, it's all to point people to what the kingdom of God looks like, right? Like he's effectively saying, hey, there, there is no disease in the kingdom of God. Be healed, right? Like there, is, there are no demons in the kingdom of God. There is no pain. There is no tears. There is no sorrow, right? And he's reversing these things, showing people through his ministry that this is not the kingdom that you are called to. The kingdom of God is different. Second Corinthians 5 reminds us, we are ministers of reconciliation, meaning we are people who are pointing others to the kingdom. How are we doing that, right? Like, how are we entering into work that is of eternal value that points people to what heaven looks like? I want to be a people who point others into eternity. Now, Jesus gives us the kind of that strategy of, of going and teaching and preaching and, and healing um, I come from a Baptist background, like I mentioned, and we didn't, I mean, I just, I never really saw physical healing take place. Um, and, and a part of that is because I, I just don't think we exercised our faith that way. Um, I, I certainly don't want to limit God and put him in a box and say that those things don't happen and can't happen. You know, I've told our people uh, as we plant, listen, if you need physical healing, we will pray in the name of Jesus for physical healing over your body, right? Um, I'm, I'm not against that at all. Um, but I also want us to remember that, that this can also be demonstrated in other ways. New City, you can demonstrate healing in other ways in, in terms of, man, if there is someone who is thirsty, you can give them water. If there is someone hungry, you can give them food, right? If there is someone whose mental health is struggling, we can provide counseling. I would even say, hey, help them pay for that counseling. But ultimately what you're doing is showing the reverse of sin. You are helping people. You are bringing healing to a soul and to a mind and to a body in a way that, points them to what the realities of heaven will be like when they will be ultimately perfectly satisfied and whole one day. So be a church, New City, that is actively pushing back darkness, showing other people God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This is what I mean when I say we are called to be evangelistic. You and I are called to be evangelicals. That term comes with baggage, and it comes with connotation. I get that. Maybe don't put it on your front door. That's fine. But in a biblical sense, we are a people with a message, and we are called to be a people who live that message with our lives and with our lips. It's an overflow of who we are called to be. I'll, I'll finish up with a quote as we consider being on mission. This comes from a French writer. You know, I think he kind of captures the spirit of what we want to leave with. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't summon people to buy wood, prepare tools, distribute jobs, and, and organize the work. Rather, teach people the yearning for the wide, boundless ocean. Ultimately, evangelism is going to come back to our desire in our heart and our yearning for the presence of God, right? And then out of that comes this overflow of praise and proclamation. But without that transformation of our heart, then this message about being evangelistic will ultimately be some exhausting religious burden on you. And that's kind of the context I was raised in. 
It was all about going and doing. But my heart, man, I needed Jesus to captivate my heart. That's, why Je- that's what Jesus wants today. He wants your heart. He's not trying to use you for some agenda. He wants relationship with you. And out of that comes this overflow of proclaiming this kingdom that is perfect, a kingdom with a true and good and rightful king. Let that be the message that your life proclaims, New City. Would you pray with me?